that transition was actually a bit slower because I had more shame around the amount <laughs> of, of unconscious attachment that I had. So in the book, I talk about how um, I kept being attracted into these relationships with really controlling, really nutty, like jealous guys. And I used to think to myself, oh my gosh, I hate this. I hate, you know, this guy trying to control me. Why can't he just relax? Why can't we just have a normal relationship? Why does this have to be so hard? And that's, you know, what my inner dialogue was. And then I got really, really curious. And I was just like, you know what? <laughs> I bet that probably some part of me really, really, really absolutely adores um feeling controlled mm -hmm. because I get to feel like I'm the most precious, needed, valuable thing. I'm like mm -hmm. heroin to this guy mm -hmm. and he has to control his supply of me because I'm, you know, I'm his <laughs> source of everything. Mm -hmm. Hello and welcome to Talking Flow with Rafan Kebeh, a podcast dedicated to creativity, sensuality and resilience and how those three qualities can help us be in flow with who we are and what we can become. You're about to listen to a conversation that was first published on a podcast called Sweet Blasphemy, Sensual, Sexual, and the Sacred. Hence, you will hear this name being mentioned. To make a long story short, I have decided to combine and upgrade two podcasts into one. The first one, Talking, Teaching and Flow, was mainly about the art of teaching and coaching, and the other being Sweet Blasphemy. This is now the Talking Flow with Rafan Kebeh, <laughs> a podcast dedicated to, again, creativity, sensuality, and resilience. Thank you for your understanding and patience. Please stay in touch and go to rafan.co.uk for all the updated links and biographies. Enjoy this conversation. Caroline, thank you so, so very much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Rafan. No, I've, I was so chuffed when uh, I received a note from your assistant saying, uh, yes, she will be delighted to converse with you. I was so, 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 so very pleased. So thank you again. Um, for everyone watching this video, this lady I'm, I'm just about to have a conversation with has written this magnificent book called Existential Kink. Now, Caroline, I gotta, um, I gotta be honest with you. And this is not an excuse, but it's a reason I think good enough. I did not finish the book and I want to tell you why. To give you a bit of context, I have your book um, on Audible that I'm listening to. I have it as a PDF and I've also printed out um, the couple of chapters that you send out for free. And so what I do is I read it normally as one would, you know, but I also do my voice work on it. So I kind of go back to the same chapters and then I listen to it because not only I want to speak to you about your writing and how personally impressed I am with it because I love um, your use of language and how clear and concise, but at the same time poetic and at times even romantic you are. But also the audio version, that's a magnificent read. Oh. Like 
No, seriously, you've done that so very well. Um, I was just so impressed. I'm, I, I'm going to re-listen to this book, I'm sure, but I, I was just so, you know, sometimes you, you read very, very nice books and, and the authors decided to somehow read them. And then you realize why they are voiceover actors and people who do it professionally, right? Because it's not because you can write that you can read. Um, and um, no, you're, you're right up there. So um, yeah, congrats. It's uh, magnificent. <laughs> mm, thank you so much. My pleasure. Now, I've got a, a few um, things that I'd love to run by you and, and to pick your brains on. And I'm tempted to share them with you so that you, whatever sparks you first, we can we can talk about, right? Okay. Um, we're obviously going to talk about, we're going to talk about shadow work because that's that's the main bulk, um, you know, if you agree with me, of, of your book and of your work. And I'm interested in your coaching um, work as well as your courses. But I'm tempted to ask you about the couple of lessons that are in your book, um, one called how to get your shit together. Another one called how to beat yourself the fun way, <laughs> how to stop being broke, because that's something I'm very, very interesting about as well. <laughs> how not to suck at love. And then lastly, because otherwise we could go for hours, how to trade the wonderful for fun and profit. Mm-hmm. Where would you like us to start? <laughs> oh, boy. So there's so much in there. Um, well, what is the most sensational or electric or relevant of those mm-hmm. topics to you? How to get your shit together. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because I think it's going to lead beautifully into shadow work. And obviously we're going to be talking about the, the kinky aspect of, of us not having our shit together and how mm-hmm. we perhaps do this unconsciously on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so the funny thing is, is I'm forgetting exactly what I put under that heading in the book. Cause it is all sort of mishmash together in mm-hmm. my mind. Um, but I'm thinking that that chapter has to do with, uh, being a big mess and uh, <laughs> trying to come learn, learning to come out of the habit of repeating one's. Yes. It comes into lesson four EK exercises for transformative magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's chapter part two of chapter, chapter one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so maybe I can speak to it by, speaking about the general essence of existential kink for those who aren't already familiar. That'd be great. That'd be helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so the general idea with existential kink is that all of us human beings have a habit of taking totally unconscious pleasure um, in repeating negative situations um, in such a way that we actually accidentally end up recreating, being drawn to being, getting ourselves in these situations again and again, because some part of us is secretly desiring it and enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And so the whole premise of existential kink is that if we can get very, very honest with ourselves, we can take this previously unconscious pleasure, which kind of like takes us over and gets us into situations that are less than good for ourselves. We can make it conscious And in order to make it conscious, we have to be willing to celebrate it, to welcome it in, to um, 
stop judging it and shaming it. Because Mm -hmm. as long as we're in denial about it, as long as we're like, oh no, that's not me. I totally don't enjoy having my life be a big mess. I really wish I had everything together. (laughs) And meanwhile, it's a big mess. Mm -hmm. As long as I'm not willing to feel and love and honor the ways that I am so turned on by it being a giant mess, (laughs) um, I will just keep repeating those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so existential kink is, Fundamentally, it's like a, it's a somatic practice where we practice allowing that previously unconscious pleasure, which might be genital or heart centered or laughter to move through our bodies and release. Hmm. Pretty awesome. I've, um, I've copied something from the book where it says existential kink is a radical somatic heart and eminently practical and quick method of coming to love the previously hidden and shamed parts of your own self um, so that you can, you know, dissolve your old and negative patterns. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful sum up that you've just done there. Thank you very much for that. So how does one start doing the work? Oh, excellent question. So... um... Uh, What I like to invite people to do is to find a situation in their life that they don't like that keeps happening over and over. So for me, I have this situation. This is like very live and active for me now. Mm -hmm. I have a situation where um, I attract an experience of either my loved ones or people that I work with or something blaming me for something. (laughs) And it's something that I feel innocent of, but I get Mm -hmm. this energy of like blame or guilt or shame directed at me. So from the conventional perspective, I could be like, well, this is just these terrible other people that keep blaming me for stuff that I'm not actually, (laughs) you know, like I'm not actually responsible for. They're Mm -hmm. crazy. They just keep blaming me for stuff. Right. And that's the conventional perspective. And that's very understandable, but it's also like, that doesn't empower me to shift it or to do anything about it. So what I'm doing is I'm applying existential kink to it. So I'm getting really, really curious. What part of me, um, you know, can I find a part of my being that is really fascinated by really just finds the experience of being blamed and feeling guilty and feeling misunderstood and feeling wrong and bad, Mm. just like so amazing and so compelling. And I find that I absolutely do. I have this part of me that is really, really adores feeling wrong and bad and being seen as just a monster and terrible. (laughs) And so for me, the art of making that conscious is not just acknowledging that I have that, but realizing that feeling that way is my highest, deepest priority. And not only for me to feel that way, but for others to feel that way. Okay. Because when I'm feeling wrong and bad and guilty, I'm um, I'm broadcasting that vibration in the world. And mm-hmm. I'm encouraging other people to uh, feel it also. And in fact, that's often why I elicit that response that I do of people wanting to accuse me of something because I've stimulated something in them that mm-hmm. feels wrong and bad and guilty and they're lashing out. So um, it's this kind of amazing dance that unfolds between me and the universe. And I found, so 
So that's my don't like situation. So I invite everybody to find their don't like <laughs> repeating situation. And then the practice of existential kink is just to be quiet, to lay down or to sit down in a room by oneself for about, I recommend setting a timer for 15 minutes and just allowing those sensations to arise in the body and getting really, really curious about them. And, uh, sort of holding them with a sense of gentleness and lightness and humor and being willing to let oneself feel any possible little spark of pleasure that might be mixed in there with the yuckiness. So for me lately, the practice has been setting aside time, going into my bedroom, closing the door, getting in touch with this part of me that is like so, so, so resonates with feeling wrong and bad and terrible and like a menace to society and just a monster. And really, really, really um, opening up to that in such a way that um, I'm touching sort of the dreamlike fluidity of existence so in a way, it's the essence of Tantra is to be aware of the way that everything is um, interdependent and the way that this waking life is like a dream. So what I'm doing is I'm feeling into those feelings and I'm feeling the way that those feelings are absolutely wrapped up with all of the beauty and all of the depth and all of the most exquisite things in the universe. And um, basically letting myself experience them in such a way that I'm not contracting around them and I'm not trying to push them away. I'm just realizing their deep, deep, deep interconnection with all of the most wonderful and all of the most gorgeous things and feeling um, whatever sensations there are of attraction, of erotic enjoyment, of, you know, this sort of kinky dimension to it. So we talked about <laughs> so existential kink. Um, one day I realized that I had this deep attraction to these sort of repeating negative patterns um, and that that a part of me took pleasure in them and that this was similar to what people do in BDSM communities all around the world where they mm. set up scenarios and with their partners scenes yeah Yeah. and they have agreements and they have safe words and they allow themselves to go into feeling sensations that ordinarily they would consider painful or humiliating and would not want they create these containers where they allow themselves to feel those sensations um and open up to them and enjoy them in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. So in my existential kink practice, I'm going into these feelings of wrong and bad and terrible and guilty. And I'm opening up to them in such a way that uh, I'm giving myself permission to enjoy them and to cherish them and to receive them as part of the wonder and beauty and lovableness of all existence. Mm So it's a bit tough to put into words, which is, I guess, why I wrote a book so I could think about it, <laughs> really write it down, um, because it is this sort of um, we're so, so trained in our modern society to see like these things are good. These things are bad. Um, you know, there's sort of always this imbalance where, say, you know, life and um 
pretty things, those are valuable. Mm-hmm. And death and um, ugly things, oh, those are not valuable. And of course, it, it keeps extending and extending until, you know, men and masculinity, valuable. Women and femininity, not valuable. Mm-hmm. Science and quantitative things, valuable. Dreams and intuition, not valuable. And there's that constant sort of devaluing of one side of a polarity. And what this work is about and what um, is sort of the essence also of hermeticism, which Jung was really into, and maybe we could talk more about that, is the reconciliation of opposites. So valuing pain and pleasure to the same degree, mm-hmm. valuing things that support my the self, the health and safety of my body alongside things that are endangering to it, like not... Um, not trying to cling to one side and get rid of another, mm-hmm. but allowing both sides, the danger and the safety, the ugliness and the beauty, um, the pain and the pleasure, the life and the death to be really, really held as equally wonderful and equally lovable. Um, when I'm able to do that, it causes a big release in my body. That is that often has an orgasmic dimension or just like a lightning heart opening dimension. And um, I've found this not just for myself, but also for thousands of people that I've worked with, that once that kind of liberation of energy happens, we no longer have to keep repeating that pattern because it no longer has, you know, a place to hook into. Um, And then we're free to use that energy to create you know, other new things in our lives, things that our conscious mind <laughs> might like a whole lot more. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, 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 I hear you. Interesting that, um, interesting that you, us human beings find the bad and I should say the good within the bad to be life affirming and that uh, repeating our patterns with actually makes us even more full, fully alive. And yet the guilt that comes with with liking or perhaps unconsciously loving something that seemed to normally be called bad, as you said, or dark or denying this side of ourselves is very much what makes up our makeup. Can I ask you practical questions in terms of what you do with people? Mm -hmm. Um, How do you go about approaching guiding someone who comes to you with knowing what their um, keeps happening, but I don't like it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, second part of that question would be do you i mean i know you do i'm sure do you ever encounter resistance and how do you go about you know maneuvering yourself around that when someone says i want to change but i don't want it to change Mm -hmm. um so the funny thing is is i notice as a coach that i can very quickly help anybody with something in myself that i have already Mm-hmm. made conscious and gotten off on and integrated because I have tons of approval for it. And I yeah. find it absolutely lovable and adorable. So for example, as I write about in the book, one of the first things that I got off on with existential kink was my attachment to scarcity and humiliation and mm-hmm. anxiety and being broke all the time. Um, since I was able to get off on that and change my relationship to it, um, it's very, very easy for me to point somebody to the ways that they are having the same fun and to just kind of gently tease them and lovingly, you know, give them the encouragement to fully, fully feel all of that pleasure in that drama. For things in myself that I have not fully gotten off on, it's 
almost impossible for me to help anybody else with it. I I mean, I can give them the basic instructions of the practice, but unless I have deep, deep approval for that thing, Mm -hmm. I'm not able to transmit it. So um, when I talk to prospective clients, I have to be really, really honest with myself. Okay. Is the thing that they're wanting to work on the thing that I know that I have enough freedom and transmutation in my somatic system that I can be fully present with them without getting, you know, hooked into the, the story. The story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, so a lot of the work that I do is just asking people questions, asking deep penetrating questions, listening, noticing what happens in my body as I listen to them and um, taking them through guided meditations to help them access the part of themselves that um, is so much more spacious and so much more blissful than the conditioned ordinary mind. Mm. And I love, I love too, that you asked this question because I, you mentioned that you're studying psychotherapy mm-hmm. and I often think about Freud and about Jung and, um, you know, Freud of course was aware that this was a major thing with people that people have attachments and they have pleasures in the very things that they say that they're trying to get rid of. And I, I recently read a biography of Freud by Peter Gay, classic biography. And he was talking about how, um, Part of why Freud started to do dream analysis with people was to get them to see like, look, hey, your own unconscious is telling you that you enjoy this thing. (laughs) Because when he would try to tell people, they would be like, how dare you? How dare you say that I would get some enjoyment out of fantasizing about killing my father? How dare you? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like, well... Mm-hmm. And what I so with my work, I am taking the shortcut and I'm not doing 10 years of dream analysis with somebody. And so it does, um, I guess, sort of as a baseline, people need to know when they come talk to me, come into my courses or come into my coaching that um, I practice radical approval for all human feelings and desires. Mm-hmm. So I'm not encouraging the acting out of all human <laughs> feelings and desires. I definitely don't want people to go kill their fathers or whatever, but having that desire, having that aggression, having that arise um, and being able to be present with even the very, very, very taboo desires and impulses and attractions that we have in such a way that, um, that we don't have to repress them and we don't have to deny them, but they can be part of our wholeness Mm-hmm. I think that is kind of the essence of um, of the work that I'm wanting to do with people and with myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah thank you for that. You mentioned the word desire. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, you you say at some point, and desire evolves through fulfillment, not denial nor repression. Can we possibly go into desire and, and as to what you've worked out and why? Um, most of us actually desire certain things and yet um, externally seem not to be actually doing anything for it. Mm -hmm. Totally. So um, very interesting set of things. Uh, First of all, I noticed, I'll I'll just talk from my own experience, Mm -hmm. like with the whole thing about money. So I I consciously thought this um, back in my twenties when I was like scraping by, um, (laughs) 
I was like living on the couches of friends and barely, yeah, making anything. Mm -hmm. I had this thought, oh, wow, I would love to have tons of money. That would be great. And then I wouldn't have to feel this humiliation. I wouldn't have to scramble every month to pay bills and student debt. So I had this notion, I would love to have money. But what I wasn't aware of was all of these um, judgments associated with power and money. So we have all of these taboos in our society. And I think especially people who are compassionate, who are sensitive, who want to be um, spiritual and loving. Um, and I'll speak just for myself. I had really, really internalized these ideas that, um, you know, if I had power and money, that would make me evil, that it was just evil to want to really, really want power mm -hmm. and money and mm -hmm. to really, really go after it, that um, I would be, uh, you know, betraying my family that had always taught me that rich people were jerks and selfish mm -hmm. and greedy and only, you know, <laughs> really good people don't have any money because you have to step on other people to get any money. So all of these things had made... Um, uh, the thought of, you know, so if I were to imagine actually just having lots of money, there were all sort of conflicted feelings that came up around it because it would be wrong. It would be mm -hmm. evil. It would mean that I was one of these bad people and I was stepping on other people. And so in situations with those kinds of conflicts, um, it's very easy for those conflicts to inhibit the kind of energy and spaciousness that would let opportunity come through, that would let, you know, connection and inspiration to grow businesses come through. Mm -hmm. So I had those conflicts and I also had um, connected with them, this sort of deep, deep pleasure in and romanticism about being really poor. Yeah. Like there was just something that was just so endlessly beautiful and so fun to me about having negative a hundred dollars in my bank account, mm -hmm. having to stand in line at the food bank, having to like it, uh, funny as it sounds, there was just a part of me that just absolutely adored that, that found it so, so fun. I'm sorry. My husband keeps texting me. I have to let him know I'm in an interview. <laughs> Um, keeps trying to call me. Uh, so one second in an interview. Okay. Um, the, so, so it took me a while and it's, um, something that really, really helped me. And I talk about this in the book is doing the work of Byron Katie. Mm -hmm. So the work of Byron Katie is this amazing inquiry meditation process where you write down your judgments about something. She has a, a thing called a judge your neighbor worksheet. And then you ask yourself four questions about it. And then you turn around the initial judgment three different ways. And you find ways that the turned around judgment is just as true um, as the initial judgment. So I remember I was doing a, a judge your neighbor sheet one time. Um, people should want to pay me lots of money for coaching. Cause at the time I was a beginner coach and I was aware that there were coaches who just, you know, made a thousand dollars an hour. And that was a mind blowing amount of money to me. Like I could not even imagine anybody being paid that much, but so I was 
filling out this worksheet, you know, people should want to pay me lots and lots of money for coaching. And then I asked myself the questions. Is it true? Can I absolutely know that it's true? How do I react when I believe that thought? Who would I be without that thought? And then I came to the turnarounds and I turned it around um, from, you know, people should want to pay me lots and lots of money for coaching to nobody should ever want Mm -hmm. to pay me anything for coaching. And when I got to that turnaround, I felt this zing through my body, like, yes, oh yes, please, Mm -hmm. nobody ever pay me. And I was like, that was when I was like, what? What is going on here? Well, of course, nobody's paying me because I have so much joy in my body and so much pleasure from them not paying. Not paying you at all, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And when that happened, how do you then become congruent? Mm -hmm. So um, to get to the congruent place, uh, a big part of it was allowing myself, recognizing that that's where I was. Mm -hmm. I'm somebody who has big, deep bodily pleasure in not being valued with money and people actively (laughs) devaluing me Mm -hmm. and not shaming that and not telling myself, I need to fix this right away. I need to be some other way. Instead, making space in my life and deciding this is who I am. I can let this pleasure arise in my body and have deep enjoyment of life right Mm -hmm. where I am right now with my bank account exactly as it is, with my business exactly as it is. I can receive these bills in the mail that I don't know how to pay and just let myself feel as much delight in them as I do. Mm. Um, So basically allowing this previously unconscious part of myself to really come to the forefront and really letting her enjoyment be my enjoyment and not telling her, ooh, stop, stop enjoying being broke. This is all wrong. This is messed up. We're going to die from being so broke. You have to Mm -hmm. stop. And instead just being like, "Mm, maybe I'll die. I don't know. This is what's happening, though. This is who I am. And I'm going to move with it. So, yeah. Um, And then it was interesting because it really didn't take that long. Um, A few weeks after letting this change happen, I decided I got some ideas that were pretty simple ideas, standard business things like get yourself a mentor who knows how to do (laughs) make money doing the things that you Mm want to do. Follow that mentor's advice. Um, take these steps, build an email list, you know, pretty simple things, advice that is out there on every success webpage in the universe, but that I couldn't act upon before because Mm -hmm. I was so addicted to seeing myself as this pathetic person who couldn't make any money and was always behind. And so I started seeing myself as a truly fulfilled person because here I am. I know that I get deep pleasure from not being valued I'm mm-hmm. not being valued. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I have everything that I truly want. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm letting that pleasure be present in my life. So as soon as I started experiencing myself as a deeply fulfilled person, it became pretty easy and in, in alignment for me to act on this simple advice. Get a mentor. Uh, start, you know, start doing basic marketing things, make a website and do all these things, you know, yeah, yeah. and it didn't take very long uh, because it was, it's also a state that is 
congruent with inspiration. So I started to get all these inspirations about things to write, things to do, programs to offer. Um, And again, those inspirations could not reach me as long as I was holding myself in this condition of, I'm so rejected by the world. I'm so awful, you know, Mm -hmm. poor me. Uh, so it all changed very, very quickly. And I went in a matter of months from, I was, I think I was earning like a thousand dollars a month to, I was earning $10,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And it's been, I've had similar experiences with other things. If I've, as I've applied existential kink to other areas of my life where it's gone pretty dramatically, as soon as I've become willing to stop shaming the part of myself that is really enjoying my life exactly as it is. So I've come to understand that basically um, I'm always being made love to by life, by the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have basically a fundamental choice. I have the choice that I can be like, no, no, no. I don't like the way you're making love to me universe. You better stop that. Yuck. Yuck. Not good enough. I can do that. Mm. And I can turn myself off and I can see myself as this, you know, sad person who's just, you know, not being treated right by life and the universe and not good. And I'm not good enough and nobody's good enough or whatever is happening, whatever is appearing in my world, you know, good, ugly, whatever, I can be with it and I can be like, this is the way the universe is making love with me right now. Mm. And mm, yeah, it's weird, but I'm kind of into it. I'm really into it. Me and the universe, this is how we're making love at this moment. I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to reject it. I am open to receiving the sensations Mm -hmm. that, that are coming through. And of course, sometimes the sensations that come through are very, very intense. They can be sensations of people, you know, telling me how terrible I am, rejecting me. They can be sensations of, um, you know, grief, losing a friendship or a loved one actually passing away. Mm -hmm. There can be sensations of, you know, worry, right? Like somebody gets sick or I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. All of these sensations can happen, but they're all um, just part of this vast, vast lovemaking that's perpetually going on in this um, dream of the world. So more and more, I just invite myself to uh, choose to be radically open to that. And the story that I find most inspiring, that the myth in the world that encourages me to do this uh, comes from Tibetan Tantra. Uh, There was a woman named Yeshe Sogyal, and she was the tantric consort of Padmasambhava who brought um, Buddhism to Tibet. And Yeshe one day was walking through the mountains of Tibet by herself, and she was assaulted by nine criminals Mm. who um, beat her and raped her and just this terrible, tragic scene that, of course, is all too often happens around the world. But Yeshe Sogyal um, had cultivated her consciousness to the point that she could meet any experience, any sensation Uh, with absolute receptivity, with no resistance, with no judgment, with no rejection. She could just receive, 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 because she had identified herself with the Buddha nature of reality. So in the moment that these criminals violated her, um, she gave them empowerments as tantric practitioners. She gave them the empowerments for them to become Buddhas themselves 
because they her her consciousness was just more powerful than their criminality and their lust and mm. aggression. And so this story about how even the most vicious, violent energies can be met with this um, sublime level of compassion and receptivity and have those energies be transmuted um, into, um, into, you know, real spiritual depth rather than remaining at that level of being poisons, that's really fascinating to me. So I guess at essence, I'm fascinated with um, what we could call, you know, the alchemy of the psyche, the alchemy of the soma. Mm. Um, what does it take to transmute poisonous experiences, leaden experiences, to relate to them in such a way that they become medicine, that they become healing, that they become part of our wholeness? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And thank you for sharing that. You share a little bit about your intimate private life also in the book, um, a very similar p pattern, right? In terms of boyfriends and ex-boyfriends mm. and the intimate relationships you'd be in. Did you have to do similar amount of work or how did that transition happen? Was that the same as for Oh, well, yeah. So um, that transition was actually a bit slower because I had more shame around the amount <laughs> Of, of unconscious attachment that I had. So in the book, I talk about how um, I kept being attracted into these relationships with really controlling, really nutty, like jealous guys. And I used to think to myself, oh my gosh, I hate this. I hate, you know, this guy trying to control me. Why can't he just relax? Why can't we just have a normal relationship? Why does this have to be so hard? And that's, you know, what my inner dialogue was. And then I got really, really curious. And I was just like, you know what? <laughs> I bet that probably some part of me really, really, really absolutely adores um, feeling controlled mm -hmm. because I get to feel like I'm the most precious, needed, valuable thing. I'm mm -hmm. like heroin to this guy mm -hmm. and he has to control his supply of me because I'm, you know, I'm his <laughs> source of everything. Mm -hmm. And once I really allowed myself to feel the depth of that, and again, to not shame it and not blame myself for having that pleasure or creating that experience in my life. Cause I think that's another thing. Sometimes when people hear about existential kink and they hear, you know, you're like, are you saying I created this terrible thing? Are you telling me I'm to blame for this terrible thing? It's like, no, you're absolutely not to blame for it. None of us are to blame for it. Blame is so useless. It just keeps things in the unconscious where they repeat. Um, but I'm interested in getting to the place where I'm allowed to have any experience without blame. I'm allowed to have any experience with total love and total rejoicing in the gift that incarnation is. Hmm. So I'm allowed to have this experience of this intense, crazy, dangerous, jealous boyfriend <laughs> and love it as much as I love it shamelessly, blamelessly and let that enjoyment move through me. And as soon as I was able to do that, as soon as I was stopped, um, as soon as I was able to stop judging it the next day, I mean, I tried breaking up with that guy a billion times before, and I would always just call him, <laughs> but as soon as I truly got off on it and truly mm -hmm. released it and truly integrated it into my conscious persona, 
without judgment, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, well, I'm done here. Time, time for something else. I and see. then I went and I moved to the other side of the world <laughs> because that was a good thing to do for my safety because he was still crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You changing doesn't mean people around you are going to change as well. Exactly. Lesson. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. Um, let me read you something that you, you, um, you wrote and, uh, and then I, I've got a, qu- a, a final question for you. And you said, um, and then it dawned on, on me. Shit. I just, I don't just have a bedroom kink. I have existential kink. I have perverse desires for pain and bondage in my daily, in my daily existence. And further down, um, which is really what I want to pick your brain on. Well, if God is a kinky freak and I'm a part of God, like all of these spiritual people say, maybe deep down I'm a kinky freak too. And maybe I can get more in touch with my divine nature by giving myself permission to like all the scary stuff in life instead of just resenting it. Now, can we be blasphemous for the next and last 10, 15 minutes together and Mm -hmm. talk about God and perhaps religion and how this might actually come into our conditioning and the way we see and perceive the world and ourselves in it? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Yes. So, I mean, I I think the common non-blasphemous religious idea, right, is that God is good. Mm -hmm. God only wants good things to happen to us. If bad things happen to us, that's um, maybe it's our fault or it's the devil's fault or (laughs) whatever. And um, I think this notion of God as a kinky freak who enjoys everything it came to me from contemplating um, more non-dual traditions, Advaita, Tantric Buddhism. And, um, you know, there's a beautiful story in the Vedas about God is um, playing hide and seek with God's mm-hmm. self, basically, right? Taking the shape of tigers and um, bandits and murderers and little cute babies and sweet, beautiful lovers and trees and flowers, just taking all these shapes and playing a game of finding God's self. And so I was contemplating that story when I realized, wow, God really likes some extreme freaky games. You know, we have war, we have all these forms of abuse, all these tragedies. And, um, and yet there's this stream of wisdom about, you know, the fundamental nature of experience is bliss. And if we can, so I would just get really, really curious about that. Um, and indeed I find that, (laughs) um, I think we've been very ill served by conventional religious teachings, um, that do try to, um, turn, emphasize duality and emphasize, you know, mortals are separate from God Mm -hmm. and there's good and there's evil. I think what that has we can see the effects of that and it has not made evil go away. (laughs) It has, you know, amplified Amplified it in so many ways in the world, Mm -hmm. just with the example of Christianity, of course, you know, we have all of the, um, the imperialism of the Holy Roman empire throughout Europe and parts of Africa that then later turned into the European imperialism that, you know, became the transatlantic slave trade and the violation Mm -hmm. of all the native American peoples. Um, 
all the things with Christianity and the Inquisition, all of the things with, say, the um, the Catholic Church and all of the sex abuse scandals with children, like all of this, all of this, all of this, it just encourages um, humans to be fragmented and to not integrate the you know, more aggressive or instinctual or animal or lustful parts of our nature Mm -hmm. with our love, with our compassion. Um, Instead, it keeps them repressed and keeps us repeating them through this fragmented image of God. So I am very interested in um, a relationship with God that's much more like what we find in Tantra in the East or Hermeticism in the West. Um, which is sort of this more like a mandala vision of God that is just the totality. Like, obviously God is the totality. What else could God be mm-hmm. <laughs> but the whole of everything? And um, getting really, really curious about that and getting really, really curious about how can I align myself with the wholeness, with the totality? And what I have found to be so redeeming and so, so beautiful about it, I actually feel like this takes me ever deeper into an appreciation of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, um, I see Christ as a very, very powerful magician who was willing to um, fully inhabit, again, with that great receptivity like Yeshe Sogel had, full receptivity to the violence and the viciousness of humanity, of life, without rejecting it, without judging it to the point that he let himself be crucified. Mm. Um, And as he was crucified, he was still loving himself, the world, all of us, the whole experience. And that greatness of that love and that receptivity allowed him to, um, you know, (laughs) become indestructible, be resurrected, be, you know, go into the depths of hell and come back out and still be, um, have coherence. And that coherence has been a beacon throughout the centuries to many people. And interestingly, (laughs) boy, I think about this stuff a lot. Um, Interestingly, though, so here, here, here's Christ as this beacon of deep coherence and beauty and magic and integration and forgiveness. And then the rest of the fractal mandala around Christ, right, includes Herod, who killed the little children at the mm-hmm. time of Christ's birth, includes Pilate, who sentenced Christ to die, includes Judas, who betrayed him and hung himself, includes Peter, who went on to found the Catholic Church. And we were just talking about what a clusterfuck that was. So even this amazing center of miraculous beauty also has these fractal outlines from it that we would call, you know, incoherent or evil or distorted or confused. And I find that so, so fascinating. And I, what that helps me to contemplate is that even the greatest, um, most compassionate bodhisattva Christ type person is absolutely connected within the realm of form, within the realm of duality to the most fragmented, terrifying, distorted evil. Um, And keeping that in mind is immensely humbling because that means that, yes, I can do all of this stuff to become the best person I can possibly be. 
And here I am being a great person. That means somewhere else in the fractal, there's, <laughs> as long as we're in form, as long as we're in duality, there's some great evil that corresponds to whatever great beauty I'm able to come up with. Yeah. And that to me is the, <laughs> is the essence of the crucifixion and the essence of the, the wholeness, the terrifying, um, you know, beauty and good and evil that we're all just inextricably mixed up in. And um, having an appreciation for that, I, I like to call that the wondrous heresy mm-hmm. that um, that the desire to create liberation from suffering and healing and beauty is inextricably um, related to the desire to create suffering and ignorance and pain and confusion. Um, and that as long as there's manifestation and not just like sheer silent space, there's an ongoing dance of those forces. So, um, well, boy, I could, I could ramble on forever, but that's (laughs) a bit of my blasphemous thinking. Mm -hmm. I hear you. And I appreciate that deeply. Totally. I'm there with you. Yeah. I know you don't have a lot of time, so I'm very I'm tempted to ask you, where can people find you and find out more about you and perhaps get in touch with you to possibly mm-hmm. work with you? Thank you so much. Um, absolutely. My So there's my website, uh, carolyngraceelliot.com. There's my Instagram, um, at carolynelliot underscore. On my website, people can find forms to join my email list. And if you join my email list, I can send you the first three chapters of my book, mm-hmm. Existential Kink, for free. Um, and my email list is really where I announce my offerings and the retreats and the events. So the main thing I do in my business is a program called Wealth. And Wealth will open up again in March 2022. So we have about a year before that opens up again at the membership. Um, but I also have an existential kink coach certification program called Sovereigns, which will be opening again in June 2021 for applications Mm -hmm. and will be happening in Miami um, in starting in October. In person? In person training? In in person, yes. We're Mm -hmm. asking people to take COVID tests before they arrive and uh, that kind of thing. So, yes, that's what's happening <laughs> and that's nice. where you can find me thank that you that sounds very interesting what are the pre requirements for for this uh, course coaching um no pre requirements other than having read the book and we have when people apply when they express interest we set up an interview session mm-hmm. with um somebody who has previously graduated from the program so we're we are going to be having interviews um that would be part of the application process but that's pretty much it beautiful wow awesome perhaps we can do a part two at some point i'd love to talk with you more about tantra Mm. um applied to psychology and modern day living (laughs) because you know the translation between the ancient wisdom and how to actually put that to work in a way that is both concise precise, but also um, experientially um, positive. 
Mm-hmm. And as you said early on, without having to go through 10 years of uh, sitting on a couch <laughs> and talking to someone about your dreams. Um, beautiful work that is, but something that can actually help people in a very, very practical way. So if we can talk about that at some point, that'll be pretty awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Caroline, thank you so very much for being here. Such a pleasure meeting you and, and hearing you speak um, of your work and of your thoughts and philosophies. So very, very grateful. I'll put all the um, the links and everything you just mentioned and perhaps even more in the show notes. So anyone watching or listening now can will be able to find that um, on the website. Okay. Mm, thank you, Rafa. Thank my, you for My biggest pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> all right, everyone. Stay central and kinky (laughs) (laughs) and watch for what you love and don't love because they're very much related apparently (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) thank you very much for being here with us go to rafan.co.uk for all the links and recommendations and be in touch to tell us what you really liked about this conversation by emailing me at flow F-L-O-W at rafan.co.uk I'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. A bientôt.